0: Hey, this is Brennan herself from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hello, King's Church. Thank you so much for joining us today. Wherever you are, whenever you are, This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. And so thank you so much. I have a word for you I'm excited to get to. But before we do that, I want to take a minute, as promised, we as a church are going to take a one-time special offering for COVID relief. Uh, we realize that our job as a church primarily is to preach and teach and, and declare the good news of Jesus and to see the kingdom come on earth. But one of the ways that happens is by us using our resource to meet needs the same way Jesus did. And so in this hour, in this season, there are so many needs around us. And I love that you're a church, King's Church, that I don't have to get up here and explain and, and, and to you know, to give all kinds of reasons why we should do this. I don't have to campaign for it. You know that we as Christians are supposed to be generous and you know that we're supposed to love those who Jesus loves and we are supposed to look out for those who are the least of these and people who are in need. And right now is a time because of this coronavirus crisis where many of us are in need, but specifically a lot of the people who are already vulnerable and already in need, this has only made things worse. And so we are going to collect an offering today. We're going to gather our our collected resource and 100% of what you're about to give right now, why don't you get ready for it? Get a phone ready, get another window open on your browser, go to our website or whatever you have to do, go to your banking uh, banking website. Website, however, you want to get ready. And we together are going to collect an offering where 100% of it is going to go directly to relieve some pressure, to be a light, to release some burden, to help and bless others in need right now because of the coronavirus. And so we're specifically gonna partner with a few organizations that are already doing good work. One of the great challenges is we don't have access to where these these places of need are, but the good news is God has already gone before us and God is already meeting those needs through great organizations. And so here in St. John, we're, we're gonna continue to partner with Outflow. We're gonna provide cleaning supplies for those guys as they continue to provide their men's shelter and meals. And that's incredible. But a lot of what we're about to do is partner here in St. John with a, an organization called Beamy Kids where they are on a weekly basis, taking care of thousands of children, at-risk children, who already lived in environments where they weren't getting the right nutrition, they weren't getting looked after the way that we would want them to be. And so we're gonna come alongside of them and this is gonna go to help support BME Kids as well. We're also gonna look out for other opportunities as as we kind of roll into the future. And in Halifax, we're also gonna help the Dartmouth Community Center, who are providing meals again for people who are at risk and in great need. And so today, I want you to get out your your whatever device or however you're going to give, and I want you to give generously. I want you to give because God gave to you. I want you to look out for somebody else because God was merciful to you. And so if you have anything to give today, I want to implore you to do that. Melanie and I are going to take part in this as well, and I want you to get out and be generous. And so as you get ready to give today, before we jump into the Word, I'm going to pray. And I just know you as a church are generous. We practice Love Week every year. It's this this moment where we just are generous and we shower the blessings and the goodness of God on the region. And so let's do it again, church. I know it's out of season, but guess what? God's calling us to respond right now. And so aside from just responding as a church by broadcasting the gospel, we want to respond tangibly by sharing our resource and helping those in need. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, you can feel free to, to, to go to the numbers. You can text to give. Uh, you can There are a variety of ways you can give today. You can text. You can go to our website. And you can also do e-transfer. So follow the instructions on the screen. And I'm going to pray for you as you do this that God would take this farther than we could ever take it ourselves. So go ahead and give today. Be generous. And as we collect this, we're going to give 100% of what you give right now in direct relief to the coronavirus. So I'm going to pray. So Father, thank you today. Thank you that you're a generous God. Thank you that when we were in need, you didn't look away, but you came right to us and you gave what you had. In fact, you gave everything you had so that we might be safe, we might be covered. We might be cleansed. We might be healed. We might be made whole. And Lord, we, don't, we realize today that there's limitations on what we can do. But God, in the same vein of your love that's been showed to us, we want to show love to others. And so, Father, I pray that you give uh, the right numbers of generosity right now for each household. Lord, if somebody's in a season where they've lost their job, you're going to direct them as to how to be generous. And that you're not going to guilt them. You love a cheerful giver. And you're going to show each of us in our hearts what you're directing us to to give and I pray you give us the faith to do it, and that we give out of a place of gratitude, we give out of a place of obedience and expectation today. Knowing, Lord, so many of us have put you to the test in this area, knowing that not only will you take care of the one that we're giving to, but you'll take care of us as the giver. And so, Father, take this offering today, would you be blessed by it and glorified by it? And God, would you take it and would it make real meaningful differences in the lives of children, in the lives of the homeless, in the lives of people who need groceries and need help, Lord. Would you help us together as we collect our resource? Would you help take this farther than we could ever make it go? And so God, I pray you bless the giver today as we look to bless those in need. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for participating. As, we kinda, as, through, as the day goes and this week goes, as we gather that number, we're going to just immediately start to help others as we have promised. So thank you, church. I'm proud of this church. It's, it's such, you're such a good church because we don't, I don't have to get up here and convince you to do something. You're already generous, and we're already wanting to find ways. And so I'm excited about that. All right. Who is ready today for some good news? It's time for some good news. We are in a series we're calling Good News. And it's all about what Jesus has done, the gospel of Jesus. And we are looking week by week at this idea of the good news of Jesus. And I want to get you to turn to Matthew chapter 8 today if you have a Bible, which I hope you do. You're on the internet, so you should have access to a Bible somewhere. But go ahead and grab a Bible and go to Matthew chapter 8. And while you go there, let me take a minute and and plug our 90-day gospel Bible reading plan. You already, those of you who are doing it, and there are hundreds of us, Uh, You already read this passage we're about to read this week, and it was really cool to see my group. Uh, I'm in in with the King's Youth Group, and just seeing some of our teenagers and our leaders kind of dialogue about the Scripture has been awesome. And I watched as some conversation swirled around this one account that I want to read together today here in Matthew chapter 8. But hey, if you're not on the 90-day reading plan, what's wrong with you? Get on the 90-day reading plan. There are hundreds and hundreds of us. Hey, everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. How's that for some peer pressure for you today? Everybody's reading their Bible, so you should too. So jump in. It's not too late. You can probably find access to our reading plan on our Facebook page or on our website. Go ahead and jump in. But let's jump in and read the Word of God together today, and we will see what the Lord has to say as we continue our Good News series. It says in Matthew chapter 8, let's read it. It says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for some help. Lord, he said, My servant lies at home, paralyzed and suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come heal him? Shall I come to your house? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority and with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, He was amazed. And he said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subject of the kingdom will be thrown outside. He's speaking about Israel here and and how they were responding to Jesus into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Look, Look what it says. Then Jesus. Said to the centurion, Go, let it be done just as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So, this amazing story happens. I just want to look in, I want to zoom in on it today as we continue our Good News series. And let me break down for us what happened in this this story. We find this Roman centurion, he's effectively a, a Roman military officer, a commander, and he comes to see if Jesus would heal his servant. Now, it's unusual to find that this, this well-to-do, powerful man would even care about his servant like this. Like the original readers would have said, that's odd that a servant would love his, or that a master would love his servant so much to go and do this. In that day, a servant or a slave was kind of like property. If one goes bad, you just replace him. But this centurion was different. This centurion cared about his servant. So he comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, Jesus, will you, ser- will you save my servant? Will you help my servant? Will you come to him and, and will you do this miracle? And the Bible tells us that Jesus offers to go to the centurion's house, and the centurion says, You don't even need to come. I understand how authority works. You say the word, and he'll be healed. And it tells us that Jesus was amazed by his faith. And it says that according to how he said, according to how he believed, Jesus healed. And so this incredible thing happens, this transformational story happens. And it all surrounds this centurion's faith. This centurion had a type of faith that Jesus commended. And in fact, this type of faith dictated the type of miracle that the centurion saw. All about this idea about the way that he approached Jesus. And I want to look at that with some detail today as we continue our series. Now, for those of you who are just catching up, you're just joining us this week, we've been in a series we're calling Good News where well, we're looking at the gospel, a.k.a. the good news or the announcement of what Jesus Christ has done and who he is. And we learned the first week that it's so important, first and foremost, that we realize the gospel is in, in and of itself news that it's an announcement. It's something that has happened and is happening. It's not advice. It's not something you should consider or maybe apply. It's an announcement that we live under that reality. And so our faith is generated based on how we hear and believe and understand the good news. And so these last two weeks, today and and last week, we're starting to unlock why this announcement that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is risen, that Jesus is life, that Jesus has died for our sins, why this announcement is good news. And last week we began with where it all begins. It's very good news because Jesus came to be with us. We talked about this word incarnation. How the good news begins that Jesus came, that life has come, salvation has come, peace has come, hope has come in the person of Jesus. And this is incredible news because that means that our job is not to get to life. Our job is to believe and trust that life has gotten to us. And that's an incredible—if you missed that, go back and check out last week's message because that's the building block we're going to move forward on. Now, many of you are probably thinking, okay, we're going to keep going today. We're going to look at why this is good news. Maybe today we're going to talk about the cross and Jesus' death and resurrection. We'll get to that. But the gospel is much more robust, much more dynamic, and much more detailed than just Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose. In fact, if you read the scripture and you read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John— 85, 90% of it doesn't talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. It talks about what Jesus did, his works, and what Jesus said, his words. And so for these next couple weeks, we're going to look at his works and his words. And today, here is what I want to talk about for the good news. The good news of Jesus. Here's the title, okay? You're with me? Write this down. Look, I'm going to take my time. I've been wrestling with... Hey, should we do this fast? Should we do this TED Talk? But my feeling is this. What I have to share with you is worth you paying attention. It's worth you staying logged in and it's worth you writing down notes because this information can transform your life. So, so lean in. I'm going to take my time. You got to go, go. I don't know where you're going to go. Everything's locked down. But let's just jump in. Here's my title and I want to break this down for you. The title is this. Good news. Jesus rules. Good news. Jesus rules. I want to talk for a couple minutes about how it's good news that Jesus rules and I want to unpack the authority of Jesus and how understanding that is what allows us to believe that this is really good news. Now, authority isn't generally something you and I think about all that often, is it? Authority is not something that that you wrestle with overtly. Although behind the scenes, I want to suggest to you that all of us struggle with authority. Now, if you're like me, you struggle with it in a certain way. For me, uh, I'm a type A person. If, I, if you take the DISC profile, I'm, I'm in the red. If you take the Myers-Briggs, I'm kind of that, I'm a, I'm that driven, maverick sort of type personality. And I have read on a personality profile or two that Brent struggles with authority. And what that really means is my personality struggles with a title. That your title is not sufficient for me to trust your authority. I want to suggest to you that everybody struggles with authority. We all just struggle with it in different ways. That the great questions of our lives actually come from the struggle with authority. And when we have anxiety, when we act in entitlement, when we deal with a lack of peace, it actually finds its root in the authority that you either trust or don't trust. We all struggle with authority, we just struggle in different ways. Some of us struggle with defiance and disobedience, that's kind of how I lean. Some of us struggle with authority in ways of control. You don't trust the the authority's ability, so you look to control your circumstances. And still some of us struggle to trust the authority's intentions. So you're anxious, you don't know if it's going to work out good for you. All of us struggle with authority. But whatever the case is, I want to suggest to you something. This is why authority is important. I don't want to unpack too much different ways we, uns- we struggle with authority. But I want to suggest to you something. I want to, I want to suggest this. That whatever the case is, your level of peace is actually directly tied to how much you can trust the authority that is over you. Your level of peace or the level of anxiety is directly tied to how you answer the question of the authority that is over you. It's absolutely tied. Your worry, your anxiety, selfishness, entitlement, control, manipulation, those are all the byproduct of your inability to trust the thing that you perceive to be in authority. And so authority is actually a central question to life— And the Gospels go at length to tell you something. Good news, Jesus rules. Good news, Jesus is in authority over everything. And if you come to trust it, it will change everything for you. This is what the Gospel invites you to believe. The Gospel is the announcement of Jesus. And one of the things it announces is this, that Jesus is. Is Lord. He is Lord all by himself, and there is none beside him. And that when you come to trust his Lordship, it can change everything. It brings you life and peace. And I want to unpack that today by looking at the story. Of the centurion, because Jesus actually says this is the type of faith that brings breakthrough. This is the type of faith that brings life. The way this guy understands me is why he's having this breakthrough. And so let's look a little bit closer at this centurion's faith. Now, some of you are wondering what's a centurion. A centurion was a Roman commanding officer. He actually had about a hundred men at his at his command. And he was part of what was called a Roman legion. A legion was a group of men of about 6,000 about, about 6, men. And it had a bunch of divisions of 100. And over those divisions of 100 was a centurion. And the centurion, so had had 100 men directly reporting to him and would have had 60 men or 59 beside him. And above him, he would have had another six men over each uh, legion. And then above the legion, there was a legion commander who who oversaw the whole unit. And then above him was Caesar. And so that's kind of how the hierarchy structure worked. And it's from this background that this, this centurion comes to Jesus. And we get a window into how the centurion understood who Jesus is and why he related to him in this way. Look what he says. Look at it on the screen with me. He comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus to do this miracle. Jesus says to him, if you remember, Jesus says, well, I want, do you want me to come to your home and I'll, I'll do this for you? And what's the, what's the centurion's response? Look at it. He says, I myself am a man under authority. I have soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. I tell this one come and he comes. If I say to my servant, he had servants because he's a powerful man, do this and he does it. It's showing how the centurion understands authority. He says, based on my position as a centurion, based on my position as the master of a household, when I say something, based on my title, things have to click into place. That my authority mandates certain activity. That my position means that certain things are going to happen the way I say they're going to happen. If I tell my servant to do something, he has to do something by nature of our relationship. And this is the this is what Jesus begins to kind of commend. Because here we have the centurion coming along and he says, look, you don't have to come to my home to heal. If you are who you say you are, just say the word and the healing will happen. Because if you really are Lord, if you really are, and, and look, look, centurion comes to Jesus and says, I've heard some things about you. I heard rumors of a teacher who was teaching the teacher's. He, he was teaching as one with authority. I've heard rumors of a, a healer who was healing in ways that healers couldn't heal. I've heard rumors of someone who commands the weather and the waves. I've heard rumors of a man who's schooling the educated. And so I'm coming to you and I've heard that you say that you're no man at all. You are actually saying that you're the son of man, son of David, calling yourself the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. And so if you are who you say you are, you don't need to come to my house. Geography has to listen to you. And the sickness has to listen to you. I know how this works based on how positional authority works. If you really are God and you really are who you say you are, then what's going to happen is what you say is going to happen. He just says, say the word and it will be done. I know how these things work. If I tell something beneath me to come, it comes. If I tell someone beneath me to go, it goes. So Jesus, if you really are Lord, then when you say something, it will happen. And this is the type of faith. He has faith in Jesus's position as Lord. Get this. This is super important. I, I'm going to preach this today because I feel like someone needs to hear this. When we come to Jesus, when the centurion comes to Jesus, he's not coming to Jesus because Jesus is some good man, because he's admirable, because he's maybe a guru or a shama, or he's, he's some type of shaman or he's some type of like sensei, or maybe he's this moral figure. That's not the basis that the centurion came to Jesus in. Jesus was approached by the centurion as Lord. Did you notice what the centurion said? He says, Lord, my servant is suffering. Can you come heal him? He comes to him as Lord. And this is so crucial. If you don't hear this, you're not hearing the real gospel. Jesus is not just some suggestive pattern to live your life by. He's not some new rule for life. He's not just a moral teacher. He's not a TED talker. He's not a healer. He's not a guru. Jesus came claiming to be Lord God, God alone. And you aren't taking the announcement that Jesus made about himself and the Bible makes about him seriously if you're willing to kind of listen to Jesus as, ah, maybe he's a good moral teacher like Gandhi or maybe he's a good leader like MLK. No, Jesus talked about himself as Lord of all and this is the way that the centurion approached him I know your position I know your title it's so important that we th- we take Jesus's own words seriously about who he says he is this is why C.S. Lewis called it the great trilemma of Jesus that if you really take seriously who Jesus said he was there are only three ways you can look at him if anybody said the types of things Jesus said about himself he's either a lunatic you're crazy or a liar, you're just making it up, you're trying to convince us, you're duping us, you're a cult leader or something, or you really are Lord. Jesus left no room for anything else. So you have to decide, and you today even, this goes for you, when you listen to this message about Jesus, I'm not suggesting to you, you consider the words of some really good man. He called himself Lord, and you need to decide for yourself, is he Lord or a lunatic? Is he Lord or a liar? The centurion believed he was Lord, and it was based on this belief that he came to him trusting his authority. Here's where the good news begins. The good news starts like this. The good news is Jesus Jesus rules with a legal authority. With legal authority. He has the title of Lord. His title gives him dominion. His title, he has positional authority. Jesus is master by title. He is Lord. He holds the highest office. This is the way we have to approach Jesus. This is the gospel announcement. A king has come. A king has come. A king has been born. Behold, a savior has been born. That's the gospel. He is Lord all by himself. He holds the highest office. All the offices of the earth, from lowest to greatest, bow before the king. That's who he is. He holds legal authority. Look at this. Look how the Bible, let's just do a quick flyover. You can screenshot this and break it down later. Look at how Jesus refers to himself. Matthew, he says that all things have been committed to me by my Father. John says Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. All things. All powers. John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. i, I Talk about authority, positional authority. I am the singularity. I am the only way to life. I am the one way. I am the one-stop shop. The buck stops here. That's what he's saying. John 8, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was, Abraham's a category of great men. He says, I am. I'm outside of the category of great men. I'm outside of time. I have always existed, he says. John 17, for you granted me, Jesus is praying, he says, you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Note, the dominion in the language. Revelation, the risen Christ comes and appears before John, the revelator. He says, I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead and now behold, I'm alive forever. And I hold the keys to death and hell. Jesus is the The authoritative ruler of all things. And this is the way that the centurion approached him. He comes to him and says, Lord, say the word and he'll be healed. Because if you really are Lord, that means that that sickness has to listen to what you say. That means that the geography between us and you, between us and him has to listen to what you say. Whatever you say has to go because you are Lord. This is what faith that Jesus commends. Jesus is Lord. At his word, disease has to die. At his word, space has to make space. At his word, time has to stop or give more time. At his word, fear has to bow. Chains have to break. At the word of Jesus, whatever he says goes. It's based on his position. He's Lord, Lord of all, Lord above all. If he's Lord, his word goes. If he says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. If he says be healed, you'll be healed. If he says you'll rise again, you'll rise again. If he says this too will pass, this too will pass. If he says peace, I give you peace, he gave you. If he says I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, he will be with you always, even to the end of the age. His word goes. Say the word, the centurion says, and it will be done. I wonder if you have say the word faith today. Say the word, and it will be done. But that's not the only reason Jesus commends the centurion's faith. And that's not the only factor I want to look at today. The centurion had heard the news of Jesus. And he realized something, that Jesus didn't merely have the title. But Jesus had the ability to back up his claims. Now, you and I all know that there is a difference between having positional authority and the ability, the capability to back it up. You've you've found this to be true, that positional authority is not enough. This is where I struggle. Maybe it's because I grew up in sports and I know that here's who's in charge. The best player is in charge. On a basketball team, doesn't matter if you're the coach or the captain. The best player is the authority. Why? Because authority, it actually demands deference. And you and I have all learned something, that positional authority is just not enough to demand our trust, is it? Has anybody ever worked for Michael Scott? You know, anybody watching The Office right now? The, the reason it's funny, check out The Office. The reason it's funny is because all of us know what Michael Scott is. Michael Scott is a delusional leader who thinks he's in charge, who thinks he has the authority, but in actuality, there's other authorities working around him and usurping him because they're more capable. Their aptitude is higher. Authority is connected to aptitude. It doesn't matter if you're the assistant regional manager or the assistant to the regional manager. What matters is your aptitude to back up that title. And the, the centurion comes to Jesus having trusted not only the title, but the claims to the title of Lord. Jesus was doing Lord-type things. Jesus didn't just call himself master. Get this, he had mastery. He had mastery. He was able to do things that the master would only be able to do. And this is why the centurion began to trust him because skill trumps title every time, doesn't it? Skill trumps title every single time. This is why we're very questionable. This is why we get shaky sometimes when a person like Michael Scott or a person gets up and they say, hey, I'm in charge here, but we actually know you don't have the, the capacity and you don't have the aptitude to be speaking to those things. You can't back up your title. This is why we all get really cringy and uneasy when, when President Trump gets up and says, hey, you know what they're saying? They say that if you pop a couple Tide Pods and down some Javex, that that might be a really good cure for COVID. Uh, we all like, hey man, could you bring in an expert? Let's not just pick on the American's leader. Let's pick on our own. This is why we all cringe when, when Prime Minister Trudeau says, hey, just try not to speak moistly. What, can we please, can, just stop talking, right? We struggle with authority that's trying to exercise authority when it doesn't have the aptitude or capacity to back it up. But Jesus, here's the good news. Jesus has the title and he has the capacity to fulfill the claims of his title. And the gospels are full of work that Jesus did to absolutely claim his throne. Here's where the good news goes. Good news is Jesus doesn't just rule with a legal authority. He has capable authority. His aptitude can fulfill the demands of his title. There's nothing his title states that he cannot live up to. Jesus has all capable authority. He's master by skill. This master has mastery. There's nothing that eludes his control. There's nothing that his hands cannot do. It's not just that he's title in, or he's Lord in title, he's Lord in deed. He can actually do what his title says he can do. This is what absolutely informed the centurion. This is what Jesus spoke to himself. Look at this, look at this verse. Jesus said, Jesus actually said to his disciples, look, look how he spoke of himself. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, I did, some, I did some, some plugging away. Go to Blue Letter Bible and look up the Greek. BlueLetterBible.org. You can look up the Greek. And if you look up the Greek, Greek word all, let's go back. If you look up the Greek word all, you can actually find that this word all in the Greek, it, it, it actually means all. It means everything is under the authority of Jesus in heaven and on earth. There's nothing that's not under his authority. He absolutely has all authority. And that means in actuality, he's able. There's nothing that Jesus cannot do. Let me preach that to someone today who needs to hear it. I'll take my time. There is nothing that Jesus cannot do. And this is what the scripture tells us. If you want to come back and take a look at this, unpack it later, you can. But let me just do a flyover again. The Bible tells us that Jesus has all authority over the universe, over all of creation. Look at some of these scriptures. John 1 tells us that all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that he is the genesis, the generator. He's the originator. He's the one that actually commanded things to come into being at the word of his mouth. Hebrews 1 says he upholds things by the word of his power. The thing that is keeping everything together. It's, it's, it's keeping us from evaporating into atomic dust like at the end of the Avengers. Spoiler, Thanos dies. It's, it's keeping, he's keeping, his word is keeping us together. Colossians 1 says that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. It's in his able, capable hands. The gospels tell us that Jesus controls the elements. Read your gospels. he's He's walking on water, commanding the atoms to just come under his authority. You know what? Water's not supposed to do that, but when you're Lord and you could tell water to do that and it'll do it. He commanded the weather. He said, peace be still. The storm stops, the sun comes out. Birds, I want a soundtrack. They start playing, he has all authority. He has authority over substances. This is what the miracle of feeding the 5,000 is it's that Jesus can actually take and multiply atoms, materials. He can actually take matter and make more matter. This is how he fed all those hungry bellies by just breaking it and saying, More, more, more. It, he's Lord. The Bible also tells us that he has all authority over Satan, demons, powers, and principalities, over the dark things of this world, over the things that keep you up at night, over the things that press down on you, over the things that have robbed and ruined humanity throughout generations. Jesus has all authority over those things incredible. Mark 1 says that Jesus commands even the unclean spirits. This is what he was demonstrating when he was casting out demons. This is what he was demonstrating when he saw the man at the garrisons and the man who had a thousand demons in him fell at Jesus's feet, and he said, get out of him, and they all had to go off into some pigs. Jesus has all authority over the demonic. Jesus has all authority over infirmity and disease, over sickness Matthew 4 says that Jesus went around proclaiming the good news, healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now, what that's not referring to is every, as in multitude. He didn't heal every person that was sick in Israel. He didn't. What it's referring to is every type of disease. In other words, there was not a disease that he wasn't lord over. Jesus is Lord over COVID. Jesus is Lord over the common cold. Jesus is Lord over a migraine. Jesus is Lord over cancer. Jesus is Lord over every type of disease. That's what this is speaking to. Jesus' authority, it stretches even over sin. He's not just Lord over sickness. He's Lord over the cause of sickness, and that is sin. He has authority over sin. I love the story in Mark chapter four of the man who's paralyzed. He's brought before Jesus. His friends lay him at the feet of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And everyone freaks out and says, who do you think you are that you forgive sins? How do you forgive sins? And you know what he says to them? He says, what's easier? That that I say, rise, take your mat and walk? Or that I forgive sins? I can do both. And then he goes and he says, look, to prove that the son of man has authority, I tell you, get your mat, get up and go home. And the man rised and went home, rose and went home. Why? Because Jesus has authority to forgive sin. So when he says you're forgiven, you're actually forgiven. He has the authority to do so. And ultimately, Jesus proved his capable authority that the greatest, the greatest authority that humanity has ever known is death until Jesus came along. Jesus usurped the authority of death itself. He did it for others. He went up to Lazarus, who'd been, who'd been dead in the grave for days on end. He said, Lazarus, wake up. Lazarus comes forth. He, he raised a dead girl at one point. Jesus raised dead people and he raised, the, he raised himself after his own death. Jesus has all authority. Hear that today. There's nothing Jesus can't do. There is nothing Jesus can't do. There is nothing Jesus can't do. He has all authority, and this is what the centurion was banking on when he came to Jesus. You have the title, and I've heard you've got the goods, that you have the capability, that you can actually do this. And so the centurion, he thought, I need to seek out the highest possible authority, because this isn't a job for Caesar This isn't a job for my legion commander. This isn't a job for me. This isn't even a job for my doctor. This is a job for Jesus. He's the only one that can do this. That was the faith that Jesus commended. He trusted the title of Jesus as Lord. And he trusted his ability to back it up. Not only are you Lord, but you can do Lord type things. Not only are you Master, but you have mastery. The good news is Jesus is Lord. Jesus rules in all authority. Nothing is impossible. Look what happens. It says Jesus said to the centurion, Based on your faith, go, let it be done just as you have believed. And his servant was healed at that moment. When? At that moment. The moment he said, Let it be done, it was done. Why? Because the centurion believed Jesus was Lord and his authority stretched to, to heal his servant, not just someday at that moment. That's incredible. That's the type of faith that Jesus commends. The faith that believes in the legal authority of Jesus and also the capable authority of Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. But do not miss this. Jesus rules. Fear doesn't. Jesus rules. Cancer doesn't. Jesus rules. Coronavirus doesn't. Jesus rules. Economic disaster doesn't. Jesus rules. Fear of war and rumors of war doesn't. Famine doesn't. Jesus rules. Jesus doesn't play by the rules. The rules play by Jesus. Don't forget it. Jesus rules rules. The centurion believed it. He reasoned that Jesus has positional authority. Jesus has capable authority. But there is one overarching reason that I think buys our ultimate trust. I picture this centurion falling at the feet of Jesus that day, coming to him and and, and knowing that he could. But here's the big factor in whether or not we can trust someone or something it's not only that it's not enough that someone has positional authority. They need the capability to back it up. But you know what the bigger question on whether or not someone could do something like a healing is whether or not they would. Nothing at this point would would have indicated that Jesus was going to do this, except I think, and this has never occurred to me before, I think the centurion thought, you know what? If he really is Lord it means he's Lord over sickness. And if he really is Lord, it means he's Lord over space and time. So if I can just get to him and he can hear my word, once the sickness hears his word, it'll be done. But if he really is Lord, he'll have mercy on me. He'll hear me and he'll work and move on my behalf. I think the centurion thought, you know what? If I'm the type of master who loves and has compassion on his servant, And he's really Lord of all, then how much more will his love and compassion on me be than my love and compassion for him? You see, this centurion could imagine the type of master that would dare love his servant and give himself up for him. Isn't that incredible? And so he approaches Jesus not just based on his position, not just based on his power, but based on his love based on his love. We can fully trust Jesus because he fully loves us. And this was the driving factor. This was the driving factor. The the, the authority of Jesus, the best news is, it's not only that he has the title of master, it's not only that he's masterful, but that he's good, that he's humble, that his authority doesn't seek to elevate himself, but it seeks to lift up others. That his authority actually is for the benefit of others beneath him. That he is the type of leader who is a lover who wants to help and heal those around him. Jesus doesn't just have all power. He has all love. He is all good. He is the type of master who would give himself for his servants. This is the best news of this claim that Jesus is Lord. He's not just Lord of all. He's not just Lord of might. He's Lord of love. He's, he's the good Lord. He will actually be good to you. That's the incredible news of the gospel, that to even us, we, we serve a master who would love and give himself up for his servants. How incredible is that? This is the picture the centurion paints for us. You see a master who loves his servant coming and laying himself down for the sake of his servant before the ultimate master who loves his servants who came to lay himself down for the sake of his servants. How awesome is that? That is some good news. This is the type of leader Jesus was. Look at how John records this story. John said that right before Jesus broke bread with his disciples and he was about to go to the cross, It tells us that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he is returning to God. So let that soak in. Jesus knew that he was Lord. So, verse 4, here's how he expressed his authority. This should wreck you. So he got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and he wrapped a towel around his waist And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He knew he had all authority. So what did he do? He washed their feet, demonstrating that there is nothing about you that I am unafraid to touch There is nothing for you that I am unwilling to do. I will go to the very ends of the earth. I will go to rock bottom for you. I will wash your feet. This is the type of authority Jesus has. Why is it good news? Why is it good news that Jesus rules? It's good news because he really is Lord. He can back it up and get this. Here's what takes it over the top. He is fully for us. He is selfless. He is humble. He loves us. That is what makes this such incredible news. I can trust Jesus because I know not only is he able, he's willing. He's good. And I can rest in that. When we can come to the place where we believe Jesus is who he says he is, and he will do what he said he will do, and that he is fully for us, you know what happens? Anxiety goes away, fear goes away, uncertainty goes away. Because why? Our trust rests in the authority of Jesus, who loves us, died for us, and gave himself up for us. That's how we can trust him. That's why this is such good news. Jesus, the master who loves his servants, us. In fact, later on, he says, you know what, I don't even want to call you servants anymore. I want to call you friends. I'm going to move you from servant, from slave, to sons and daughters. That's who this Jesus is. That's how he rules. He rules with mighty affection. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this for you, just as I close. And I was thinking about um, both of my sons have had surgery. Uh, Both of my two sons have had their tonsils taken out just like their father before them. Uh, Just big tonsils running the family. My doctor, we had Alex's tonsils taken out last fall. The doctor came and said, man, I don't know how that kid breathed. Those were the size of Digby scallops. Anyway, I've had both of my sons go through that procedure. And I remember when We took Aiden in, my older son, to have that done. I'd never had a kid go under the knife under anesthesia before. And I know some of you are like, oh, that's just a, a regular procedure. I'll tell you what, no surgery is regular for my kids in my life. It's not a regular thing. I was stressed out. And I am a bit of a person who, according to my personality profile, struggles with authority. So I'm freaking out. I'm nervous. We take Aiden in. And the coolest thing happened. I go into St. Joseph's Hospital, and I actually have a picture. This is, this is uh, one of my sons walking down the hall, getting ready to have his tonsils out. And he's doing it like a boss. And I'll tell you what, I was feeling the weight of that moment more for what he didn't know was about to happen, but I had no worries. And there's a reason for that. When, when we showed up at St. Joseph's Hospital, we got there, we got checked in, and we're waiting. And we go in for the pre-op and to, to see the anesthesiologist and the doctor. And I'm nervous as all get out. I'm, I'm not liking what's about to go down. I don't like the thought of the recovery, all of it. And, and here we are and we're sitting and in the room comes a smiling face that I recognize. It was my friend, Dr. Tolu Alugo. He's the anesthesiologist who's going to watch over my son. And he comes in and he says, he, 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 he just lit up. He says, I saw your son's name and I'm here. And he said, you know what, I wasn't actually going to come in today and something prompted me to come to work at St. Joe's today. And so here I am and now I know why I'm here. And he said to me, he goes, I will take care of your son. And you know what that did for me? I saw come through the door a man who had the title doctor, a man who I believed had the capability to back up the title. Because you don't just get titled doctor. He had the capability But more than that, what put me at ease was he looked in my eyes and I was looking into the eyes of a friend who says, I will exhaust myself to make sure your son is okay. That's the type of authority. You can trust authority when you know they have the title, they have the capacity, and they care about you. It's good news because Jesus has the title, he has the capacity, and he cares about us. This is what Peter was getting at when he said this famous scripture. And I want some of you to meditate on this this week. That we're invited to actually humble ourselves like the centurion. Fall at the feet of Jesus. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Humble yourself under his mighty hand. There's nothing God cannot do. Good news. God is fully able to do whatever it is you need him to do. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Here's what you're invited to do. Cast all your cares, your anxiety on him. Why? Not just because he's mighty and able, but because he cares for you. Jesus is the Lord we can cast all of our anxiety on, not just because he's able, but because he cares for you. Here's the good news. The good news is this. The good news is, I can rest in the Master's mastery because I can trust His great love for me. I can rest in the Master's mastery. It's a little rhyme for you to think about this week as anxiety is trying to take authority. Anxiety is just the byproduct of an authority that you don't trust. And as anxiety is coming to try to take authority, remind yourself this nope, Jesus rules. My job doesn't. Jesus rules. Coronavirus doesn't. Jesus rules. The stress of these kids in this house for another day doesn't. And I can rest in the master's mastery because I can trust his great love for me. That's it. Isn't that good news? That is the news that Jesus declares over you today. Here's a couple of questions as I pray for you and as we're done. Question number one. Two questions and one practice for you. First question is this. What authority rules my life? What authority rules my life? Look at the way you're acting right now. Is it anxious? Are you scared? Are you stressed? That's not what it looks like to come under the rule of King Jesus. Anxiety is not the byproduct of his rule, peace is. Who, what, where have I given my trust for life? Can I suggest you aim that at Jesus today? Question number two, what is keeping me from trusting Jesus fully? What is keeping me? Is it do you not trust his claim to Lord or do you not trust his ability to be good? I would suggest that you look at the cross and the resurrection and do the math. What could I let go of? What could I cast? What could I release if I believe Jesus really was master of all, who has mastery over all and loves me above all? What would that set you free from? What could could you lay down? Some of you need to lay down regret and believe that Jesus has mastery over your sins. Some of you need to leave fear of the future and lay it down and believe that Jesus has mastery over your future. Some of you need to leave all kinds of different anxieties down, your your joblessness down and believe that Jesus has mastery over providing for you. What would change if you could cast those things on Jesus? Here's the practice. I want to challenge you as you jump on the 90-day reading plan, I want to challenge you to every day... Cast your anxiety on Jesus. Name them out loud and lay them at His feet. Do this little practice when you get up and you're feeling anxious. Just remind yourself, remind your soul, Jesus is Lord, fear is not. Jesus is Lord, these children are not. Jesus is Lord, coronavirus is not. Jesus is Lord, whatever I read in the news is not. Remind yourself, name those things that give you anxiety and cast them at the feet of Jesus and watch Him exercise his authority over your life by giving you life and peace. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you today. Thank you today that Jesus is Lord. That you have the title, Jesus. Right now, you are seated at the right hand of God as King of kings and Lord of lords. There is none beside you. There is, none ben- there is, not, there is no other. You are God alone. And not only do you hold the title, but you hold the power to hold that title. And Lord, we look to your mighty works, the miracles, the healing, the signs, the wonders. We look at the cross, we look at the resurrection and we remind ourselves there is nothing this God cannot do. And if we have faith like a mustard seed in this Jesus, we can say to this mountain, throw yourself in the sea and it will throw itself in the sea. At your word, it will be done. Thank you today, Lord, that not only are you able, but you're willing. Thank you that not only do you have all power, but you are all good. And we rest today that you are fully for us, that when we come and we place our trust in you, like I place the trust of my son in my friend Tolu, that when we place that thing that we're so worried about in your hands, Lord, that we are trusting the love of a Savior. We're coming to a friend, to a father, who loves us and gave himself up for us. Lord, teach us to cast all our cares on you. Teach us to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, that you will lift us up in due time and that we will cast our cares on you because you care for us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Have a great week, church. Love you so much. Be blessed.